And I had mentioned this at the beginning. It's not that we lack money. It's that we lack laborers. So, what's going on with ambassadors? Where are the ambassadors? What's happening with our manpower? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we'll stand to read this together. Chapter number 5, verse number 17 to 21. It's perhaps one of the most important ministries of a church. And we're going to read it here. So, chapter number 5, verse number 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You may be seated. Pepsi was the first American brand in the USSR. They got their brand into Russia in the 1970s. Now Coca-Cola, they would not sell their brand to Russia because they had this fear that it would get linked to the Communist Party and they didn't want to mar their image. So at the time, Coca-Cola, they were not wanting to do any business with Russia, with Soviet Russia. But there was a general, his name was Zhukov, Marshal Zhukov. And he was the main general who helped the Russians to take Berlin in World War II. And at some point, there was a meeting between him and General Dwight D. Eisenhower. And the U.S. general, Dwight D. Eisenhower, was the U.S. general. And they had a meeting during World War II. And what had happened is that Dwight D. Eisenhower somehow gave him a sip of Coca-Cola. Now, this would prove to be something interesting that happened in Zhukov's life because eventually Zhukov found himself addicted to this capitalist goodness. So here's what Zhukov came up with. He met up with a U.S. commander, especially when the Iron Curtain fell on Russia. He met up with a U.S. commander that happened to be in Russia at the time. And what he said was, he wants a Coca-Cola that has no color and in a different kind of bottle. So what they figured out that they were going to do is smuggle Coca-Cola in vodka bottles into Russia for specifically Zhukov to drink. So you could say that General Dwight D. Eisenhower 
was the first ambassador for Coca-Cola when it entered Russia. Now, by the time the 90s, the early 90s showed up, finally the Iron Curtain fell and Berlin was finally uh, let go. And that was finally when Coca-Cola actually entered Russia. That was in the 90s. Now, currently, there are two countries right now that will not sell the brand of Coca-Cola. Anyone know it? One is Cuba, and the other one is North Korea. Now, it makes you wonder, what do people do when they crave Coca-Cola? Well, have no fear. If in Canada we figured out how to make knockoff Coca-Cola, they figured it out too, okay? Uh, I have two pictures here for you. That one, Tukola, that's the one they sell in Cuba. And then the next one, this is only offered in the North Korean flight from Vladivostok, which is in Russia, all the way to North Korea. That's the only place you can get a cola if you're going into North Korea. All right, fun fact. But Coca-Cola as a brand is perhaps the most recognized uh, around the world as a brand. Every country, one way or another, they have had cola at some point in their history, Coca-Cola. And the thing is, if you try and compare the Coca-Cola to the gospel, there are some interesting things to notice. Coca-Cola took over practically the whole world in 150 years. In 150 years, they practically have the whole globe covered with their logo, which is so interesting. But the gospel has been on earth for nearly 2,000 years, and there are still 53 countries where it is still illegal to own a Bible. When Coca-Cola wants to make a marketing decision, they put about $4 billion to market their products. This is Coca-Cola worldwide. Every year, they put $4 billion to market their brand. For the gospel, this was very interesting because I didn't think the number was this high. For the gospel, about $2 billion worldwide goes into missions every year. $250 million out of that $2 billion gets used in foreign missions. Okay. Now, interestingly enough, I kept looking into statistics. I found the Barna Group. Barna is a famous group that does a lot of surveys, and they did a survey that spanned 20 whole years. What they found is that after they asked Christians whether they felt a personal responsibility to share their faith, 73% said yes. 73% of Christians say that they feel there's a responsibility to share their faith. Then they asked if they had shared their faith in the past year from those 73%. And only 52% of that 73% said yes. What was interesting is that they surveyed what generations were the most active. And they found that evangelism was actually on the rise. More and more Christians are evangelizing, which is a good sign. But which generation did they find was the most evangelistic? It was the millennial generation. So the millennials are the best 
at evangelism for their generation. Now, they did another comparison along with that, and they found that also that the lower income classes were more likely to share their faith than the other middle class and upper class, which was also very interesting. Now, why do I bring that up? If certain countries don't ever get to taste Coca-Cola, that's not the end of the world. They'll survive. But for those who never hear about Jesus Christ, the savior of their souls, they come into a condemnation and they're sent straight to hell for an eternal torment. It requires the gospel to get into their hearts that they may get saved. We know that it's not a matter of money because I pointed out to you, two billion dollars go, go in worldwide missions. So it's not the money that we lack. I believe a songwriter put it really well. My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. What do we lack? For the last 2,000 years, we've lacked laborers. It's interesting because Jesus also pointed that out. No one goes through life without God's awareness. No one dies without God allowing them to. And from the verses we read, we also see that the promise is that people who become born again are become new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This means that there is a transformation in the outlook of how people see the world. And honestly, if a person hasn't had a change in their outlook on life, that's a sign that there may have never been true conversion. Christians are also given a ministry of reconciliation as we were see seeing there. Reconciliation means to make friends out of enemies. The message of reconciliation is what we know as the gospel message, the gospel message. So logic should tell us that those who have not been reconciled to God must be the enemies of God. And that is indeed the case because Romans 8 verse 7 says, tell, uh, tells us that worldliness is at war with God. It's at enmity with God. Canada and the whole world right now are on a very difficult path. There is more and more perverted teachings that are being taught to kids and young people. And it's being pumped into their minds to think a certain way or think a certain direction. The Telegraph, which is a, uh, a journalist, journalistic company that's coming out of the UK, they put out a small documentary about two weeks ago and they talked about what is the state of Canada right now. This is a US, UK company that did it. And what they pointed out was that how Canada is becoming more and more of a testing ground for liberal thought and progressiveness. 
There are Christians who don't know why they need to stand against progressive thought and such things today. And the people that have gone woke are trying to evangelize more and more and push out Christians from the system as best as they can. And they're trying to remove the last traces of Christianity that's left in Canada. At the end of the documentary, what they were showing is the statue of John A. Macdonald. John A. Macdonald, the first Prime Minister of Canada. And what had happened was it was, an it was a vandalized statue. What they had done is it, uh, vandalism all over the statue, and what they had had to do was put up a wooden box around the statue to prevent more vandalism. Eventually, you know also that John A. Macdonald was being removed from certain parts of what you may have seen. It used to be on your $10 bill, but in 2018, that was changed. Canada, more and more, is being moved to make changes against everything the Bible teaches. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The people who are teaching transgenderism and woke culture are not our enemies. They're victims of a bigger war. We're fighting a war. The First Nation advocates who are trying to pass certain laws, who chant their pagan rituals before every graduation ceremony, they're not our enemies. There's multiple religions, in fact, in the world that would seem that because those religions are here in Canada now, it had given people more license to argue that Christians are just Christians because it's convenient. You happen to be born in Canada. Of course you'll be a Christian. Basically, they argue this to undercut the idea of a personal God. But the Bible says this about the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Yes, indeed, this world is very much at war with God. But we who have been converted to Christians, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Jesus had made us all ambassadors for him. Despite the hardships and the trials that we will no doubt go through to carry out this ministry and be ambassadors for Christ, we need to ask, is all of this worth it? Why go through so much hardship? And we'll try to answer that. But first, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have attentive hearts. Help us to get hold of this message. Help me to get a hold of this message too, Lord. Help us to understand the importance of being an ambassador and understanding this ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, help us to be found as faithful stewards of this ministry. I pray and thank you, Lord. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we're going to talk about the reason for the ambassador. So, before a war, before a battle starts, 
it's customary for one side to send a representative to the other side. Usually this representative is there to try to talk things over and to see if their other side is willing to surrender. If you all are following me, all right? So usually it's an effort of grace, okay? One side knows that they are going to totally decimate the other one. You understand? So there's representatives that are sent and these are usually called emissaries or ambassadors. God's side is obviously the winning side. And we saw that even this morning. God's side is the winning side and no doubt that it's the most powerful side. So God's side is sending ambassadors to the other side. God's side is the winning side. God extends his hand of grace to the opposing side, the side that has the devil and his, command, uh, his commanding officers to try and have a few surrenders. So the truth is, we were all once on the opposing side of the camp. Nobody is born on God's side. We were children of the devil by birth and by choice. 1 John, let's turn there. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verse number 9 and 10. Verse number 9 and 10. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So, if I were to ask you, okay, well then, who commits sin? Because clearly, the ones who commit sin are the ones who are on the devil's side. Who commits sin? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? All have sinned. And remember, according to this verse too, remember that an unbeliever, a person who, doesn't, who hasn't converted into Christianity, a person like that may do some very good things in this life. They may help the poor. They may pray. They may love to learn about God. But their righteousness is looked at by God as unrighteousness. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. For born-again Christians, the only reason the good things we do even count in God's eyes is because we were made into new creatures. And that's what we were reading at first. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Because we had passed on from being the children of the devil to becoming children of God. That's the only reason our righteousnesses now, or our good works, I should say, are counted as righteousness. 
So only because we have an indwelling Holy Spirit, assuming we do our good works by faith. So when Christians understand that there is a war that is being fought on a regular basis, that's when they understand that there is a job to be done. The devil is after the souls of men and women all around the world, and he wants to stand against everything God wants. We had a choice to choose between God or the devil. And so we eventually chose God. And when we chose God, by default, there's a package that is given to us. This package involves the ministry of reconciliation. So let's turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, 17. Chapter 5 and verse number 18 now. Take a look here. So verse 18 says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To help you understand, as of September 1st, 2023, which is a couple of weeks ago, Wikipedia was the seventh most visited website in all the world. Now, college and university professors will constantly tell you, never use Wikipedia as a source of your information. In fact, I know some college professors and university professors who see, once the, the moment they notice Wikipedia was used as a source, they fail your paper. Okay, so they're very strict about this. But the data doesn't lie. On average, a person visits Wikipedia for just under four minutes because these are quick references. But the main reason Wikipedia is such a highly visited website is because of its easy accessibility. The answer is just there. And the rate of information just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. How is this possible? Because your average Joe Anyone can write an article on Wikipedia. That's the way this information database is growing. So anyone can write whatever they want about anything or even go as far as editing something. And anyone can see it. But did you know this? Wikipedia is very strict when it comes to medical articles. In fact, Wikimedia had placed a disclaimer concerning editing articles specifically on psychology. Here's what they said, and I'm quoting here. You're editing a resource millions of people use to make personal decisions and to draw conclusions about human behavior and cognition. So it's vitally important to be accurate. With great power comes great responsibility. So to speak, we here, as Christians, we hold the keys to somebody's eternal destiny. We have the keys to somebody's eternal destiny. And that's a lot of power that God has given to us. The moment we accepted Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we've been given now the keys. There was once 
Think about this. There was once an ambassador that had once come to you to teach you about the ministry of reconciliation. Those were faithful soul winners. Those were faithful missionaries. They obediently shared the keys to eternal life with you. We received an opportunity to become friends of God at some point. So ladies and gentlemen, there is a great need for ambassadors. There's a great need for ambassadors to a lost and dying world. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Of all the people in this world, we are in the greatest position to understand how important this ministry is. So, that's who the ambassador is. But the resources of an ambassador, that's the second point. I found this really uh, one of the coolest facts I'd ever found in the Bible. A group of ambassadors gathered in one place. Does anyone know what that is called? A group of ambassadors is an embassy. For the longest time, I thought an embassy was the building that people just went to ask questions about other countries. But turns out, a group of ambassadors in one place, gathered in one place, is called an embassy. Generally speaking, this is similar to how a group of Christians gathered together in one place to worship is called what? A church. Church is not a building, just like how an embassy is not a building. So the church is not a building, and it's the group of people. So an ambassador also is another cool fact, is the highest ranking diplomat of a nation. So we are not only taken out of the devil's camp, but God also takes us and places us in the highest position of diplomacy. So we are given a powerful rank. Jesus had taken us and placed us on a higher mantle. And oftentimes we forget the amount of goodness and graciousness and blessing that came the moment we joined God's camp. We forget the wonder of salvation, the joy that came with salvation. Not only did Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, die for us, but he gave us extra blessings to go alongside it. Just to name a few, your Bible, God's Word. No one else has it. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. God, a third person of the Trinity, is living inside of you. We have access to peace that passeth all understanding. We can have joy and strength through the joy of the Lord. Messed up my notes here. We receive spiritual gifts to strengthen the church that we are members of. Jesus Christ, on a 24-7 hour basis, is praying for us. 
We have access to God's throne whenever we need to pray, 24-7. There's no waiting line. The receptionist is always there. Perfect customer service every single time. So as ambassadors, it's like we've been given superpowers that the unsaved person, a person who is not a Christian, does not have. If we take into account what this message of reconciliation brings, it carries the keys of life and death. Think about it. Not every Joe Schmo is given nuclear codes. But here is God giving us practically codes to a nuclear bomb. We can choose whether somebody has life or death. That's how much of a ministry we have. It's not the keys, though, to destruction, but it's the keys to life. That's what we're given. It brings hope to a dying world. Paul talked about this, especially to the Philippian church, and he exhorted them. Let's take a look here. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 14 to 16. It's his, it says here, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Turn back to 2 Corinthians there. So as an embassy, as a church that represents a far country, as a church, we represent the kingdom of heaven. We have a lot of resources to use. And I had mentioned this at the beginning. It's not that we lack money. It's that we lack laborers. So, what's going on with ambassadors? Where are the ambassadors? What's happening with our manpower? Let's talk about the responsibility of the ambassador. That's the third point. As ambassadors, it's easy to lose focus. Since we still remain on the enemy's side, because remember, we're ambassadors, we're like an embassy, we're still on the enemy's side of the camp. The commander has still not called us, okay? To kind of illustrate this, we often lose focus. To illustrate this, I have a story here. In 1805, Napoleon, he was leading a French army on his quest to rebuild the Second Great Reich. Now on his war path, Vienna stood in his way. Vienna was the capital of Austria, and Napoleon really wanted it, right? There was a river that divided Austria from the north and the south. It was the river called the Danube. Now, the southern part was already conquered by Napoleon. He all just had to take the northern part. So Napoleon, he was trying to figure things out. He wanted Vienna really badly. He wanted to take Austria as a whole. So there was this one problem. There was one bridge left. The Austrian realized that Napoleon was on a warpath to take the country, so they blew up every single bridge except for one bridge that divided the north and the south. It was called the Tabor Bridge. The Tabor Bridge. So 
they still put bombs on it just in case Napoleon decided he wanted to come through. So here were the Austrians waiting, and Napoleon, they, you know, they were waiting that Napoleon would get there in case he got there. But they also were having some armistice negotiations. The French and the Austrian, the Austrian knew that Napoleon was going to take their country, and they were like, let's work out some negotiations. So they were trying to say, let's make peace, okay? And so as this war was going on, you know what happens in war. Anything can change the tide of war. Well, all these Austrian soldiers, they're waiting at the Tabor Bridge, hoping to see Napoleon's army. And what they see is that there's these two guys walking down the battlefield towards the Tabor Bridge. And these guys didn't seem like they were worried or anything. And they were joking to each other and talking casually about how the armistice went really well and everything, and the war was over. And they were just walking casually towards the Tabor Bridge. Austrian soldiers were starting to get suspicious. They pull out their muskets. They're pointing at it, pointing at these two guys. The two guys, these, uh, these two guys turned out to be Napoleon's lieutenants or lieutenants, I should say. It, it was uh, Joachim and Jean. And as they were walking towards the bridge, they were just casually talking, joking around, as if there was no war. Austrians were completely confused. And, you know, these two guys start talking to the soldiers. Now they're at the bridge. And these two lieutenants are talking to these soldiers and they, they didn't realize that there are actually some French soldiers starting to make their way towards that bridge. Eventually, there was a count that they found out, the Count of Osberg. He was the one in charge of this group of Austrian soldiers. And uh, they started asking for him. Can we see the Count Osberg? Uh, we got to talk to him about the peace treaty that we've already signed. And uh, the Austrian soldiers were kind of suspicious. They sent a, uh, a messenger to go get the Count of Osberg. And Jean, he's talking to these Austrian folks. One of the sergeants starts to get suspicious. And he starts to wonder, I wonder if this is some kind of a ruse. So he sets the match. He sets it to blow up with the Austrian soldiers already on the, on the bridge. And then these guys are starting to scorn him and they're browbeating him. It's like, how dare you try to blow up public property? Don't you know there's an armistice and whatnot? Well, eventually the Count of Osberg shows up and they tell him, yeah, there's been an armistice. It's okay. We're at peace now. Uh, the war's over. You guys can go. And eventually the Austrian army gave them the bridge. And the Austrians just went home. It took one month after they were given the bridge to take all of Austria. Napoleon didn't even have to shoot a cannon to take Austria. Crazy. It's a tragic story from history, but it also shows what can happen to Christians who aren't paying attention or who lose focus. There are things in this world that can seem very attractive to us. There are things in this world that can distract us. 
it can be easy to place so much of our attention on our families, on our finances, on our friends, on our fun, on our fulfillments. And this is honestly a sad state that the devil would really like for us to be in because we already have, as I said, the nuclear codes. We already have the keys for death and life. But then he can't stop us from helping others to reconcile. So the next best thing is to just distract us. When was the last time you came out for flyering or for soul winning? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time you earnestly studied your Bible in order to help someone? When was the last time you ministered to someone in the hopes that they would draw closer to God? Jesus Christ, our commander, didn't take us to heaven yet. We're still on this earth as God's ambassadors. And if we lose our view of what is really important, the souls of men and women, then we are not contributing to eternity. We're just wasting precious time and resources. So finally, I want to talk about the reward of an ambassador. Is it worth it? We know that at the end of our lives, we will stand before Jesus Christ. Take a look at Romans chapter 14. And verse number 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10 says it this way, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, the, the picture that Paul is trying to paint here is that of the Olympic athletes. When the Greeks would watch their Olympic athletes and watch their Olympic games, there was something that would be done at the end of it all. Somebody won a prize. The, athlete, the athletes that won the prize were awarded these wreaths, these wreaths that were kind of looking like crowns at the judgment seat. These crowns that were woven, they were made out of olive branches. And olive branches were considered sacred according to the Greek mythology or something like that. But the best meaning, the, they only gave these olive branches, these crowns, to those who were the best. The best meaning they didn't come in second place. They didn't come in third place. If you came in second place, if you came in third place, well, good for you. You weren't receiving a crown, though. 
The crown was the symbol of excellence. The audience and everyone, including those who came second and third place, would watch the excellent one receive his crown from the judge. In the Bible, there are five crowns that are spoken of that a Christian can win. And I think these are very good to even take note of, to remind us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 25 to 27, it says this, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto, into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This first crown is called the victor's crown. The victor's crown. And what is the victor's crown? In order for somebody to win the victor's crown, it requires discipline. The Christian with a single focused mind to win this has to have a single focused mind to win this. This is not just for the Christian who just says no to temptations. It's been once said that good is the enemy of the best. It's not about choosing a good decision. It's about choosing the best decision. Meaning we focus on what really matters in this life. What holds the most eternal value in your everyday life? So the second crown is called the crown of rejoicing. So this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 and verse number 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This is called the crown of rejoicing. Or some people call it the, cr the crown of the soul winner. For those who take part in soul winning, meaning those who directly are involved in trying to lead somebody to Christ on a regular basis, they receive the crown of rejoicing. Then there's the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy, chapter number four. Second Timothy, chapter number four. And it's marked down in verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do we desire with every fiber in our body that Christ come and take us? Similar to how a bride is looking forward to 
getting married. The church is told to look for Christ's coming, to look forward to the rapture. There's a crown for that. And it also means that we're not building this life, but we are building the life that is coming for us. The investments in this life don't matter. It's the investments that go into our eternity. That's what matters. And this crown is for those. And then there's, in James chapter 1, the crown of life. James chapter 1, the crown of life. Chapter 1, verse 12. It says here, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This is speaking of the crown for the martyrs. This is given to those who go through persecution and trials and afflictions. And I'm not saying, oh, they call me names because I'm a Christian. No, that's nothing. In fact, the people who are more likely to, I think, get this are, the, are Christian brothers and sisters in the 1040 window in the Middle East who face prison, who face death penalties for becoming a Christian. They're the more likely candidates. But the final crown is the crown of glory. And this is 1 Peter chapter number 5. In verse number four, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And this is simply called the pastor's crown. For those who accept the call of God to become a pastor, to lead a flock, to lead a church, that's what this crown is for. So I want to conclude this is the conclusion. Much of our life is yet to be lived. And God knows the ones who will one day believe. But he has extended to us this ministry to bring people to God as best as we can. Being an ambassador for Christ is not easy. We are facing more and more distress every single day. But there are rewards to be received when our life ends. We just need to be faithful ambassadors for his cause. So is it worth it? Yes. Yes, it is. It's very much worth it, especially when we know that Christ is always keeping score. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 and 58. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So maybe you're already soul winning, trying to bring somebody to the Lord. Then I want to encourage you, don't give up. Maybe some of you are ministering to someone in hopes that they would come to Christ one day. So don't stop. It may feel lonely to do a ministry on your own sometimes, but God is always keeping score. 
If you haven't helped in any regard in trying to reach the lost for Christ, then I'm sad to say that time is running out. One day, it will be the ones who obeyed and kept doing the work that will be crowned. Imagine with me, Jesus Christ himself will stand up, walk up to you, and put a crown on your head. Jesus Christ doesn't always stand up. But when he does, perhaps it will be because of a faithful servant. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.